G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Let's get a focus today on what you do as a Christian believer when you know that there are people who are refugees who are in your community. Because if you're a part of a local church, you might be hoping that your church might have some sort of program to help those refugees integrate into your community. But your church might be waiting for you to step up to know how to deal with these situations. Many churches are embracing refugees around Australia, providing a place where they can belong to a community that's motivated by the love of God. Let's get some more insight today from Ken Myers, who for the last 13 years has been working with refugees and people seeking asylum. He's one of the founding directors and CEO of Refugee Connect, working in southeast Queensland, and he's a leading authority on the care of refugees and people who are seeking asylum. Ken, a special welcome back to 2020. Thanks, Neil. Good to be back again. Ken, supposing I have some refugees and they've moved into my community, just down the street, just around the corner, and I see them at the local shops, and I notice that there are people who avoid them, Sure. And I'm wondering that as a member of my local church that perhaps I could extend a hand of friendship. Uh, last time we spoke, we mentioned that just saying a simple g'day can make a huge difference. Absolutely. Yep. Once you've gotten over the initial introduction and you've discovered that you're actually making a new friend, mm-hmm. how do you go about discovering what that person may actually be looking for in order to settle into your community? Sure. So with our, our model, how we actually do exactly that. So we'll regularly have people who, we have volunteers, just go to help with conversational English. Don't need any training. Don't need anything, anything special. It's just talking about what's in the newspaper or what's happening in their life or, and, and where we might help with some, some general English. And do most refugees have a little bit of English in their vocabulary, or do you find yeah. that you come across some who just have no idea? When they first arrive, that is the case. But um, with the government support systems, any refugee in Australia has access to a program called the Migrant Education Program. And um, so they'll, they'll be at TAFE. They'll be at TAFE four days a week, most of them. Um, learning English if they don't have English skills. And no doubt, in their spare time, looking for someone who they can uh, try out their newfound English skills with. That's right. So you've got to have a little bit of uh, humility, uh, slow things down a little, and perhaps be a little bit patient. But if you are patient, I imagine the rewards of this new friendship you're about to make uh, can be just enormous, and you can be so enriched. They are. They are. And as I mentioned in the last... Uh, segment that um, you know I get referred to as Aussie Granddad, so you know that is such a su- such a precious thing that it can lead to that extent. Now, if you are trying to identify the real 
deeper needs that will help someone to really integrate into your community. Uh, You've got a little uh, process that you take people through and something a little bit like, you know, if you were had an accident or something happened and you had a visit from an occupational therapist, how they would help you get back to work. How do you how do you actually uh, put this little process into practice? Yeah, well, actually, Neil, we we actually use that OT's process. It's the for, for any OTs, humour me in this, um, but um, you know, it's we just apply the, the simple principles of, of their PEO model. That we acknowledge who the person is, who they are as a person, and 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 so that's things like their physical ability, their language skills, and as you've mentioned, that some so language is going to be anywhere in the scale. You know they. Um, their resilience. How are they emotionally at the moment? What are they going through? Um, you know, their own cultural and their cultural awareness of what's happening in Australia. So these can all be simple things that we're having conversations around. All right. That as we're just being a friend, we get to observe these things. All right. Because we're not there to, we're not there as a clinical occupational therapist. We're just there as a friend, right? So. Uh, but nothing saying we can't learn how the process works that the professionals use so that we can actually help to identify some special needs that we personally or our local church might be able to meet. Absolutely. And so it starts with that, understanding who they are as a person. And then the second step, and this is all happening while you're just having conversations, while you're just having a chat, a cup of tea or coffee. And the EBIT, the, the environment, you know, where do they live? How far is it from schools and shops? What are the other resources they have? What's the, their finances and the weather? So we just had this last week of rain. If someone's on only on public transport, well, what does that mean for them and how maybe could we help them negotiate things a little differently? And that brings us to the O, which is the occupation. Now, occupation, not about a job, but about a general task at hand, which could be how do I get to the shops when it's raining? You know, what do I need to do? Where do I find these things? What's the the local stuff? The interesting thing, Ken, is I imagine that, you know, for most people, they have a social network or something goes wrong at home. They know who to call. They can get sure. a tradie in to fix it. Yep. Uh, I imagine that when you've got a refugee, uh, they have none of that context, none of that Network, none of right. the ability to know who to call when things have gone wrong. I'm sure there's some people who've got, uh, you know, some professional oversight of them and uh, they may be very helpful. But mm. this idea of branching out and uh, finding new networks in a local community, that's a part of the integration process, isn't it? It is indeed. And as far as somebody having some oversight over them, that's very loose. It's very loose oversight. Extremely loose oversight. Uh, what does that mean in the sense of when we think of a church uh, that has a pastor? And when we think of a pastor, we think of a pastoral care. That's like an oversight as well. Absolutely. How would that work with a refugee group? Uh, there might be a number of refugees that have in that one community. If you're introducing your pastor to that group. Yeah. Well, whether it's the pastor necessarily or even just yourself, like most but most Aussies know how to handle stuff. You know, the, the everyday to life thing, day of life things, we don't need to, to go and knock on the pastor's door. 
Uh, okay, so we can take on the pastor's hat ourselves and say we're a pastoral carer on behalf of my local church to this particular group. Does that does that sort of work? I mean, how yeah. often how often do you need to pop over and see if everything's okay? How often do you need to be there to actually, you know, uh, give some uh, some tips and some advice and some how-tos about getting along and integrating into your community? So our volunteers kick off with, with a visit a week, really. It's just a couple of hours once a week at a time that suits them and the refugees, and um, and they just go for conversational English. They just go to have a chat. It's, it's that complicated. And so, I mean, I suppose, like anyone, they probably don't want you living in their pocket. They don't. Uh, and so the occasional visit, and as you say, once a week, a couple of hours. Yeah, once a week, hey, once a fortnight. It's, and I'm sure that's a loose arrangement as well, but this opportunity of growing and making friends. What about the idea of even inviting people out to lunch? Yeah. Or, uh, you know, going to do something together in your community. Maybe it doesn't cost anything. Maybe it does, and you would shell out a few dollars. Uh, what about doing those things that really do promote a strong bond? Oh, you're not, you're not allowed to have fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, you know, of course. You know, we, we, we go to the park and we, we do those sorts of things, and um, we get invited to every birthday party. <laughs> Good, and I imagine that the activities that you might choose as a Christian believer will be the sort of wholesome, good, uh, value-adding activities. And yeah. if you don't introduce those people into good, uh, wholesome activity, the possibility of them choosing another friendship sure. group that takes them into a wrong direction is yep. very possible. That's right, and that's that. That is a very strong and positive part of what can be done. And so there's a great responsibility on the shoulders of, and I think particularly Christian believers, because, you know, listeners to our conversation today, ones that might be challenged to say, you know what, that is a responsibility. It's a burden I have on me to help people in my community to fit in in a special way. I know some asylum seekers. I know some refugees. I've got an opportunity here. But if I choose not to pursue that opportunity... What could come down the track for that person may well be disastrous. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's the sort of thing that I think, and it's, it is it is just my opinion, but I think that's sort of what's happened to the, the African boys down in Melbourne. I think they've just been left alone and they haven't been able, and, and, and who knows how much of it is they're doing as well, because teenage boys rebelling, when has that ever happened? Uh, <laughs> you know, um, so you know, but there's there's some that that we can take on that I think is I, I really feel for that whole community, um, especially when I see the um, the positive influences and the positive impacts impacts that have had in communities that um, you know that we've been dealing with, and it's hasn't all been hasn't all been roses. Let me tell you. Ken, you're operating out of southeast Queensland. Sure. You've got some plans to branch out interstate. Uh, got Ooh. some gatherings coming up in places like Ballina in New South sure. Wales. Yep. If there are people listening to us today saying, you know, I've got some refugees in my community. I wonder yep. if Ken's got a connection with me. Yep. You're happy for people to be in touch with you? Absolutely. Please. 
Well, Ken Myers has 13 years experience working with refugees. Uh, I mentioned as one of the founding directors and CEO of Refugee Connect, there is a website. It's refugeeconnect.org.au. And for those who are in southeast Queensland, he's looking forward to quite an amazing workshop that will help support refugees effectively. And if that captures your imagination... Put a diary date down for Friday the 9th of November and Saturday the 10th of November and you can be a part of that. And you'll be able to get some information when you go on to refugeeconnect.org.au, an independent charity. And Ken Myers, thanks so much for sharing your thoughts and your heart with us today on 2020. Thanks a lot, Neil. It's been good to be here. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.